The message this morning is based on 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That's why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This is God's word. Just curious, by a show of hands, who knows who this is? All right, not, not some, but, but some of you know. This is Pete Maravich. They call him Pistol Pete. And he is probably one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And you can argue with me about that later on if you like. Fifty years after his college career ended, his record still stands. A couple of records, actually. He's the highest scorer, even though he only had three years of eligibility, and that was before the three-point line. And he also has the highest points per game. And it's not even close. It's something like 44, 45 points per game. Incredible. He was also a Christian. So if you end up going to YouTube later on to watch the highlights of his 68-point game, also take a minute to listen to his confession of faith. I won all my life and, and money will buy you everything but happiness. and It'll pay your fare everywhere but heaven. And he said, all the, the glory, all the awards, all the trophies, he said, it all pairs in comparison to the glory of Christ and what he's done in my life. There was one time that Pete Maravich was invited to uh, do a segment on Dr. James Dobson's Focus on the Family talk radio program. And the day before the program was to air, Dr. Dobson and his production crew, who were all middle-aged regular guys, invited Pistol Pete Maravich, NBA legend, come down and play a game of basketball with them. And he came. He came and they played for, for about 45 minutes and then they took a water break and everybody scattered. And, uh, and Dr. Dobson 
and Pete Maravich found themselves alone on the basketball court. And they just had this really brief conversation. Dr. Dobson asked him how he was feeling, and Pete had been dealing with this shoulder injury for about a year. He said, oh, two weeks ago, I could barely even lift my arm, but today, I just feel great. And that was the whole conversation. And the two men walked away from each other, and for some reason, Dr. Dobson turned back just in time to see Pete collapse. And he fell to the ground. He didn't even try to catch himself. And so Dr. Dobson ran over and he held him and he cradled him in his arms as Pistol Pete Maravich died on the basketball court. Dr. Dobson called Pete's wife, Jackie, and told her that her husband wouldn't be coming home. And he spent some time comforting her and then he went home to break the news to his own family that this friend of the family had died. And Dr. Dobson took his 17-year-old son, Ryan, into his office and he, he sat him down. And he said, you know, Ryan, Pete Maravich didn't get a chance to say goodbye to his family. But I need you to know something. This thing that happened today to Pete Maravich, this isn't an isolated incident. This is what happens. This is the way of things. It's going to happen to me. Someday you're going to get that phone call. And what I want you to know is that at the end, at the end when Jesus comes back, when Jesus takes me to heaven, when I wake up there on that grand morning in that great city, that new Jerusalem, he said, I'm going to look for you. And no matter what else you do in your life, no matter what else you do, I want you to be there. And I tell you that story on Christian Education Weekend. Because as we're here to celebrate all of these incredible blessings that God gives us through this ministry, through this school, through these teachers, so many blessings, in fact, that it would be possible for us to lose sight of why we're doing it. To lose track of the reason that we're here. Why all the money? Why all the time? Why all the energy? It's because we want our kids to know Jesus. And when we go to heaven, we want to see him there. And it's also because we know what our kids are up against. You know, kids these days, they have a problem. And I know this because I have the same problem. And so do you. Paul Tripp put it really bluntly in this book called Parenting. And it's for parents and it's about their kids, but this is a universal problem. This applies to all of us. He said, Although God in grace has placed you and your children in a physical world that constantly points to him, your children have the perverse and life-shaping ability to look at the world around them and not see God. They will consistently see the signs, but they will consistently fail to see what the signs point to. And if you don't acknowledge God, not only are you a profoundly disadvantaged human being, but you will then insert yourself in the middle of your world and make it all about you. Children who don't acknowledge God will act as if they are God and will resist the help and rescue that God has provided for them through their parents. It's kind of hard to talk about Christian education without talking at least a little bit about Christian parenting. That's not going to come as a surprise to any of you. There are all sorts of people who find themselves in parental roles. Paul, for instance. Paul was not married. Paul didn't have any kids. And yet he addressed this letter 
to Timothy, my dear son, is just dripping with fatherly love. And this actually happens all the time. It happens all the time, especially in the church. You may have a father and mother, but you can also have a spiritual father and mother. Someone who's been a Christian longer than you. Someone who, who's wiser than you. Someone who has suffered more than you. Someone who has, has walked the path that you are currently walking and can help you on it. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you can probably point to those people in, who have been that in your life. Mentors, fathers or mothers in the faith. And God can actually raise you up to that role if he hasn't done so already. To take someone under your wing and to play a part in shaping and cultivating a young person's faith and Christian character. This is what we're seeing in 2 Timothy. It's parenting. It's coaching. It's mentoring. These past six weeks, we've been going through the six chapters of 1 Timothy. And now, no more than a few years had passed, and Paul wrote this second letter. And in this letter, he didn't say much about his living situation, but it had changed. This time, he's writing from prison. And Paul had been in prison before, but this time, this time was different. He didn't say much about it. But church tradition tells us that, that the place that he was believed to be was uh, nothing more than a dismal underground dungeon with a hole in the ceiling for light and air. And as we read on in the letter, we see that this time Paul didn't expect to get out. That this imprisonment was going to end with his execution. And so we consider this letter to be Paul's final words, his farewell, his last will and testimony. And so Paul got right to the point. This is what he wrote to Timothy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Faith passed down from generation to generation to generation. And then for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Now, there's some people who, who say that uh, these instructions to Timothy are because he was particularly prone to timidity, and maybe it was related to some kind of weakness of faith, like his faith is like a the flame on a candle and it's sort of flickering and about to go out. And it's possible. It can mean that. But it's just as easy to see these words as practical instructions for Christian living in a particularly dangerous time that required special fearlessness. That Timothy was going to need all of the supernatural strength that God would give him. And Paul knew that his own life would soon be demanded of him for the sake of the gospel. He had no reason to believe that Timothy's wouldn't too. And so he said this gift. This, this gift, fan it into flame. God gives us power. That's power to pick up our cross, to daily deny ourselves, to follow him wherever he leads. Love to serve others no matter the cost. And self-discipline. That's choosing the things that please God when they aren't necessarily the things that would please us. Paul essentially said to him, this is what the Spirit gives. This is what you're going to need. And you're going to need as much of it as you can get because here's what I'm asking you to do with it. He said, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Now, Paul wasn't asking Timothy to be executed with him. He was asking Timothy not to be afraid of it. 
that for the sake of the good news of Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the grave to bring us to the Father, for the sake of that good news, that he would do whatever it takes to be there, to be there with him, and to bring as many people with him as possible. Now, you know very well we can't just hand someone faith. It doesn't get given from one person to another. That's the work of the Holy Spirit through the word. That's how it worked for Paul, and that's how it worked for Timothy, and it's how it worked for Lois, and it's how it worked for Eunice, and that's how it works for us. That's how God still chooses to come to us, and yet God still does hold us responsible for this, for passing on the faith to the next generation. And because we're talking about pragmatic instructions for the church and for those who serve in it, let's get down to it. How are we going to actually do that? Now, there are the obvious answers. We're going to make sure that they learn their Bible. We're going to make sure they learn their memory work, that they know the difference from right and wrong. We're going to make sure they're in church. That's the easy stuff. But I'm going to give you three more. And you should know, I'm not normally an alliteration guy, but this just, this just sort of happened. So I'm going to give you three Ps. Passionate love for God, practical connections to daily life, and personal testimony of your faith. So first, passionate love for God. Paul said, fan it into flame, this gift of God. You know, kids notice it when you are unfair. They notice it when you're inconsistent in your discipline or in the rewards that you hand out. They are extremely sensitive to authenticity, which means they are not going to be fooled by hypocritical faith. That's why the first thing that we look for, the most important qualification, is just to be one who loves God wholeheartedly. That you understand your need and also understand that his grace is more than sufficient to provide for it. And they would see your relationship with him and say, that's what I want. And then that that passionate love would lead to Practical connections to daily life. I shared that quote earlier about how we're in this world that points to God and we have this ability, call it an ability if you want, to miss it, to not see him. So what I'm asking you to do is to look for it, to see it, and when you see it, to talk about it, share it. I'm not just talking about the signs in nature. I'm talking about the signs in God's people. When one of God's people shows what God is like, By being like him. There are so many profound lessons that are taught in what we think of as these insignificant moments. When there's forgiveness and when there's love when it wasn't expected. When someone someone shows sacrificial love just because. When grace runs like a thread through everything you say or do. When Jesus' name is mentioned not in lessons or in lectures but in conversations as the one that all of this is for. And finally, we can give personal testimony. Teaching the beliefs and the behaviors, it's important. But but your own experiences with God, with grace and with sin and with repentance and forgiveness, kids need to know that stuff. Can you imagine the tragedy of a child growing up thinking that the Christian life is supposed to be easy? The inevitable conclusion they would come to when it turns out that it's not is, I think I'm doing this wrong. Maybe this isn't for me or God just doesn't have have any attention or love for me. But there's actually a story about God intervening in this world. God intervening in your own life to adopt you into his family. And it involves another Christian who shared that word with you. 
It involves baptism. It involves God coming to you and how he keeps on coming to you through his word, through sacraments to forgive and to give hope. Then you can just hold this up. Hold up this life and say, this is it. This is the good life. This is what I want and this is what I want for you. Paul said to Timothy, suffer with me for the sake of this gospel, this good news. It's worth it. Let me show you. So if you're going to faithfully bring up the next generation to know and love the Lord, the question is, what are you willing to do? Are you willing to suffer? Are you willing to sacrifice in order to pass on the faith to the next generation? And I feel a little bit silly asking that to you because you're already doing it. As of January 1st marks 150 years that a Christian school has operated on this block. 150 years of Christian education. Back in 1874, there was one teacher. His name was John Denninger, and he taught in a single room in a house on the first floor that I think, if I read the history correctly, used to be over there in that vicinity. And now, by my count, we have somewhere between 150 and 160 teachers and support teachers and administrators. And how many more over the past 150 years? Decades after decades of faithful workers who joined Paul in suffering for the sake of the gospel. And I'm not trying to be dramatic here by comparing uh, teaching to being imprisoned and executed. But I am saying that doing it as a representative of Jesus absolutely requires sacrifice. It requires denial of self. And I am here to say, as a representative of Jesus, God bless you. God bless you, teachers, for this work that you do to show kids what God is like, to teach them his work, and to teach them his word. You've committed to a life not just of loving God faithfully, but also that you would let that love guide your values and guide your decisions and guide your priorities so that others would see it and they would want what you have. God bless you for that. And you're not alone here. There are a lot more people in this room who give of their time and their offerings and their prayers in support of this ministry. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to do to make sure that these children that walk through these doors, that they're going to walk with us all the way to heaven? And the answer is anything. There's nothing that we won't do. But there's actually a better question, a better question that isn't going to leave, leave us patting ourselves on the back. Better than what are we willing to do, but what was Jesus willing to do? This is what gave Paul the ability to choose suffering. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What was Jesus willing to do? And what was he willing to give to save us? He was willing to give himself. He was willing to give his own life. And why? Only because of his grace, given before he even created the world. We're not saved by our education. We're not saved by our knowledge. We're not saved by religion. And let me explain this. We're not even saved by our faith. Here's what I mean by that. We're not saved by the strength of our conviction. We're not saved by the degree of our trust. We are saved by the anguish and the love of Jesus who suffered literal hell on the cross so there would be nothing keeping us from the Father, so that we would be there, 
that we would be there in heaven with him forever. And then this incredible thing, this incredible thing that he gives this task to us and he gives us his word and to use it to bring more people to him. And he gives us the resources and he gives us the will and he gives us the opportunity and incredibly, he gives us the ability to choose to keep on suffering for his sake. And we're asking him for more of it, more for all of it, more strength, more resolve, more opportunity and more faith to keep on doing it to keep on serving him. All this to his praise and glory. Amen.